Hello and welcome to Las Blancas Podcast. I'm your host, Om Arvind, and today I'm joined by Yash Thakur. This was supposed to be the post-match podcast on Real Madrid via Real. Recording Saturday afternoon, my time, past midnight, I'm assuming, Yash's time in India. And yeah, I mean... We probably would have been done by now, in fact, with the post-match podcast on Real Madrid via Real, except if you've been tuned into things, what looks like the entire first match day of the new Liga F has been postponed, suspended, however you want to say it, because of a refereeing quote-unquote strike. Now, the thing with this, and this has been very confusing for a lot of people involved, and if you want to dig into labor law on this, you can, but my understanding is this is technically not a strike because the referees don't even have a real employment contract. It's not super accurate to actually call it that way. And so if that's the case, then do they have a legal right to do this, blah, blah, blah? I don't know. But it's being communicated as a strike in the press to everyone because I guess that's just the simpler way to go about it. I don't know what the other way to word it is in a way that like fits a headline, basically. Because I faced that problem myself because the past couple of days has just been me posting repeated articles and updates on Managing Madrid about this situation. So just keep that in mind as we talk about this, that I think technically, legally, this can't be considered a strike, which would be important when you start to talk about disciplinary measures and you know sanctions against the referees and stuff like that. If that's, if that's happened, that's important to consider. But I think like functionally, what they are doing is a strike in that they are withholding their labor, which is bringing a league to a halt in order to have certain demands met. And we'll just call it a strike throughout the podcast because that's just a lot simpler for us. But just keep in mind that technically speaking, I don't think that's actually accurate. So what we're going to do on this podcast with Yash is essentially take you through the events of the last few days, starting from Thursday, trying to explain exactly what has happened what the implications of this are, what's really going on, because there's always something else going on when the RFEF is involved. And then we'll cap off the podcast talking about Freya Siri, our new signing from Racing Louisville from the NWSL. Haven't really got a lot of chance to talk about her because this kind of it just kind of happened really quickly towards the beginning of the season. And then this happened. And we were going to kind of use the post-match podcast as a chance to do it. We might as well just do that now. And so that's how we'll end the podcast. This all just kicks off out of the blue, September 8th on Thursday. It looks like everything, we're finally smoothing everything out, right? Because it, it's coming out that like, yes, the league with the zone, which I think just happened like that announcement, that deal with the zone, like was like a week before or something the league was going to start. And so that was finally ironed out and people are like, okay, where's the match going to be? And it looked like it was all coming together by this point, right? We can see that some listed games on YouTube, even though it became hidden afterwards, it looks like that on the official, you know, the zone website itself, where you have to pay that a bunch of different countries can watch all of the games as well. And as we're scrambling to figure that out and realizing that it was coming into place, this whammy comes where the committee for the referees or whatever that their official representative group releases a statement on the RFEF website saying that essentially that they made a unanimous decision to not referee any match due to uncertainty over their employment and economic situation. They go on to say that 
they believe that women's referees deserve minimum conditions for the exercise of their activity within the professional competition, and that it is not conceivable that the refereeing establishment is the only one that remains on the sidelines of a growth that they consider to be just as necessary. That's more or less a direct quote from their statement. And then they go on to say that we look forward to stepping on the pitch again, but with the right conditions. And so that really, as far as anyone on the public side is concerned, was just absolutely out of the blue, right? We think we're underway. We think the new Liga F, which is finally fully professionalized, finally out of the RFEF's hands, replacing what was called or what we knew to be Primera Iberdrola, we thought it was on the runway and we were about to take off. And then this comes and we have immediately the real threat that match day one will be postponed because, of course, you cannot hold a professional football match without referees. And so on that day, Liga F releases a statement and a quite explosive statement, really, which I think gets to the underlying issue of what this is really about here. So the... LPFF, which is the organization that runs Liga F, the new organization that runs the league, said they sent a proposal to the RFEF two days ago, which I suppose would be Tuesday along this timeline, where they proposed that the referees would quadruple their income. The RFEF did not respond. And there are a couple of other things that were said within it, but the key takeaways is that the LPFF proposed to negotiate directly with the referees, not the RFEF. And they said that the clubs will continue pl- their planning as if match day one will occur. And then they kind of ended off with this really explosive quote where they say, this is an embarrassing episode, again, led by the president of the RFEF, who once again uses women as a battering ram to achieve his only objective to destroy Spanish women's football. I'm not joking. That is what they said. And I assume that was kind of a cathartic statement for a lot of people. So that was day one of this fiasco. and. It must be said that there's a couple things going on here, right? Obviously, the new league is now under the remit of Liga F, but the referees are still hired by the RFDF. And so there still needs to be cooperation between these two organizations. And that statement there that the RFDF is using women's football as a battering ram to achieve its objective, that's more or less kind of accurate here in that what we're talking about, as much as this is about the referees wanting you know, an improvement to their pay is what it looks like. And we'll get into the whatever details we have on what it is they're requesting. This is about a continuing power struggle between the RFEF and the league itself, right? And their reluctance to relinquish control of that. And so I think as we just go through the timeline, we'll kind of flesh that out further in terms of what that means. So that was day one, September 8th, Thursday. September 9th, that's Friday, you have a second statement from the CTA, which is the acronym for the group that represents the referees. Again, on the official RFDF website, they say they will hold a press conference this Monday, September 12th at 12.30 p.m. local time to explain the reasons for the indefinite break in their activity. So I would assume most people would be listening to this podcast on Sunday. So that would not have happened by then. And so that would be the thing that we'd be waiting for. They also said that, uh, or it was also revealed that the referees unanimously came to this decision after a meeting lasting more than an hour and a long day of negotiations with the LPFF, RFEF, and the CSD, the CSD being Spain's governmental council on sport. And so 
they made a unanimous decision on Thursday. Then on Friday, again, they had an hour long talk between themselves and they had a long day of negotiations and they still came to the conclusion that they were going to go ahead with the quote unquote strike and they would explain their reasonings further on Monday. And so after this was released on that Friday, Liga F releases another statement where they respond to what the CTA said. And so basically they said that, look, that may be what you said, but all teams are still going to appear for their scheduled matches on Saturday and Sunday. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. We trust that the CTA and the RFEF will fulfill their obligations. And in the event that they don't show up, then, you know, the LPFF will cancel the matches and proceed to present, you know, disciplinary complaints. They say punitive measures, but specifically they say the disqualification of the referees, which would, I, I would assume means they're, they're being removed from the duties, they're being fired. And yeah, and then they say they will in, initiate appropriate actions against the referees and you know, claim damages that are generated from this. And they end again with a very explosive statement from where they say, we want to make public that we're not going to accept any blackmail from any group or institution. And then they thank, you know, the fans, teams, whatever, for, for the support. And so basically all you have the following day is just kind of a little bit of an escalation of the confrontation between the two groups and basically the LPFF saying, okay, we'll, we'll just keep going. I mean, I don't know if I'll call what they're doing like or the, what they did kind of like brinkmanship, but it almost appeared like that, right, as, as saying, okay, you say you're going to do this, we're still going to go ahead anyway. And until the clock hits, you know, the start of the match or or technically like 15 minutes after is when they ended up canceling. We're not going to do it until then. I suppose to fulfill, to show they're fulfilling their obligations from their half, but also I guess it's, it's kind of a dramatic statement as well to go and do that. So that's essentially what happened today. Today we're recording this podcast, September 10th, Saturday, where the team showed up they presented themselves at the stadium. Then 15 minutes after the scheduled time for the match, they saw no referees had showed up. So then they suspended. Now, a key thing here that we found out that they did after a picture of Real Madrid, Villarreal's letter was released is that they were going to sign a letter basically affirming that all of this has, had taken place and basically put it into ink. There was a letter signed and I assume all, all teams did this, but specifically with Real Madrid and Villarreal, the delegates, like kind of like the representatives of both teams who tell assistant referees about substitutions and stuff, they're basically the representative on match days for the teams, right? So the delegates of both Villarreal and Real Madrid signed this letter, and then the captains of both teams did. So Ivana has her signature on that letter, and the picture was posted by Relevo. You can, you can go to their Twitter account, it's just at Relevo and see the full picture. It's in Spanish, of course, so I've translated on the website for you, and I'll just go through some of the key things that was said in the letter here on this podcast. So they say that in accordance with the regulations, the teams here showed up at this time. They saw that none of the referees had showed up, and because of this, they decided to suspend the match. The key one here is the fourth point that they say, where they say, they inform the league, the RFEF, the ETA, and all of that. This like gives them the right to basically take disciplinary actions according to the established regulations. And 
look, this just sounds like repetition of what I'm what I said before, and it kind of is. But this is key because when the delegates signed their name, Real Madrid's delegate Noelia Morales Gonzalez hand wrote a note where she said Real Madrid is not satisfied with the application of disciplinary measures since the referees are exercising the right to strike. So basically there was an affirmation from everyone involved on the day that yes, this happened. Yes. The referees didn't show up. Yes. We're suspending the match, but a specific handwritten note from Real Madrid essentially saying that, look, we don't want any disciplinary measures to be taken against the referees, which is what the league had been threatening to do in response to this, which is kind of notable. And I think kind of subtly points out to the fact that there's a certain solidarity here between the referees, the teams, the players, and what's happening here on kind of a larger level, in addition to the referees wanting better pay, better conditions, whatever it is, that this is kind of a power struggle between the LPFF and the RFEF. So in what way is that the case? So here's where we kind of get into kind of how deceitful and manipulative the RFEF have been. Yeah, I know, huge shock, right? So what the situation was or was going to be was basically that the clubs pay 3,300 euros per game and the referees for each game will receive 702 euros in total and the remaining 2,598 go to the RFEF and they're chalked up as management expenses. According to the RFEF, that's needed to cover travel, maintenance, clothing, etc. And basically, I, I think the RFEF said that, you know, they also use it to, to, you know, they use it for travel, right? But that, you know, they say that that's still not even enough money to, to cover all of that. So the proposal that the RFEF denied at the LPFF was they said that you keep the 3,300, right? We keep that money that the clubs pay, but this money goes directly to the referees. The RFEF get absolutely none of it, right? So that was supposedly the proposal they sent two days before the strike was announced on Thursday. They said that this would then quadruple the amount that the referees receive. So it would be from 300 euros to, to 1650 for the main referee and from 160 to 825 for each assistant. But in that distribution, apparently, they kind of ignored the fourth referee and included them in, quote-unquote, other expenses, with the RFEF jumped on and said, right, we received this proposal a few days before the start of the league, which implies a profound ignorance of the refereeing establishment because it does not even contemplate the fourth referee. And so the new proposal from the RFEF is 21K euros per game, which would mean a total of 5 million euros per season. But there is no, or, or up until this point, as we know, there has been no statement about how that money will be distributed, simply that the RFEF decides the distribution, which is kind of fishy, right? So basically, we're at a point where the RFEF had all the power for so long. Remember, because before there was Liga F, there was Primera Vertola. They had all the power to negotiate with the referees and basically give them better pay, right? They could have given them the 21K or, or, or had the clubs pay 21K at any point in time and then split it up however they want to do. Two days before the league is supposed to start, you have out of the blue, the strike emerge, where the RFEF then says to Liga F, well, why aren't you helping out the referees? Now, I will say that if it's true that Liga F only sent this proposal 
two days before the day of the strike and kind of ignored the fourth referee. That's kind of a bad look on them. And it's not to say that they're completely, you know, exempt from any sort of criticism here. In general, it's been like kind of a haphazard, you know, organization and creation of the league, right? We only got the logo and the name a week, week and a half, two weeks before the league started. The TV deal was only ironed out until then. Like all of this is happening last minute. And this is not to say that no question should be asked of them, but the RFEF had basically total power in this entire situation for such a long time. And they very strategically positioned themselves right before the league was going to start with very little time for there to be an adequate response to then say, oh, we're going on strike and match day one is not going to happen, right? And we know as a fact, because of, of things we've covered on this podcast, because of things you guys have read, that the RFEF had done their utmost to prevent the league from falling out of their hands, whether that was doing shenanigans with TV deals, where they, they presented Real Madrid, Barcelona, and other clubs as you know the villains preventing there being a unified TV deal in the league, when in reality, they were... They were rejecting it because the RFPF was going to take, you know, a ridiculous percentage of the TV revenue just for themselves. We know that the entire time, the entire history of the RFPF has been to hold on to this league and try to milk it for whatever it's worth. Now, Jose Manuel Amoros at Amoros Cuatro on Twitter kind of laid out this information that I've already given you in terms of the amounts and everything, and then kind of posited something interesting. He basically asked the question, why is it that the RFEF is giving this 21,000 euro figure? Where did that come from? He's saying, if you multiply that by 240 games, that makes 5 million euros, which coincidentally is the budget that CSD is going to, to give the Liga F for organization expenses of a professional league. So what Jose Manuel Amoros is saying is, the, is that the RFEF wants all that money after losing the league for this season. And he also points out that why are the refs going along with this? Because if they don't, they're done for. Because remember, the RFEF hire the referees, and that gives them an immense amount of power to kind of push them into this action. So we have a pretty blatant situation where, you know, I don't know if what Amoros is saying specifically to that motivation of the 5 million per year is correct, but it's very, very obvious that the RFEF is trying to get more money here that can then be redirected to themselves. And in the process, almost as kind of a slight, almost as kind of a power play, huge middle finger to the league saying, oh, we're going to screw up match day one. And, you know, oh, oopsie always at the same time trying to position themselves as doing this in defense of the referees themselves, which is the the disgusting thing about this. I would say the final straw on the camel's back with the RFEF happened like a long time ago for me. But for whatever reason, this one has just infuriated me to the next level with what it is they're doing here. The way they have used the refs to put a stopper like I mean this is think about how what a huge letdown this is what a hugely bad look this is for the league right to not even be able to organize and put on time their main schedule right like I mean it's it's acting in extremely bad faith essentially to again extract whatever profit they can which is the only reason they've, they've they've seen any value in the women's league whatsoever is whenever they can milk it for cash like it's rank corruption 
is what it is. And that's basically the situation. Yash, I know you took a bunch of notes as well, um, but I don't know if I left anything there for you, but highly possible I missed something. You can chime in with any other details that you noticed or give your opinion on the situation. Yeah, no, I mean, you covered it uh, brilliantly and the timeline was like perfect from what I have in my notes as well. It is, it, it's about the rights of, of the referees as well. Like obviously, since the league is going professional, they want a better working condition. They basically want a contractual uh, condition where they have a proper co- working contract uh, in the first place. But it's also on the, uh, in the bigger scale, it's more about the power struggle than about the referees themselves because you see the referees the conditions that are being offered by lpff they if you if you read through them they seem quite quite good like they are offering them uh, 3300 directly to the to the referees which will not involve any sort of rfef involvement so all the money would go to them that would increase their uh, uh, revenue as well but uh, the thing is they cannot uh, take that offer and run with it. Uh, they have to agree with the side of RFEF because basically RFEF has them at gunpoint saying, if you don't, you are not going to be able to like referee again. That is basically uh, the unsaid threat or whatever. Like th- that is the problem here. They want everyone wants better conditions for them, but at the end of it, nobody is winning in this power struggle actually. And the ones that is the one thing that is suffering here is is the women's league like that is that is the one thing that should have not happened that was this has been going on for a while like rfef has treated the women's league like a second thought like an afterthought for a long time with the change with the with the hope that the professionalization of the league would resolve this we we are here sitting discussing this on on match day one when we should be discussing how real madrid fared against villarreal and and it's not just frustrating for for the fans uh, but it's also frustrating for the players as well like uh, if you if you saw aitana's tweet like she tweeted about the, the situation saying it's it's the same old game like the the ones suffering here are are the players again like there's so much to do again like in the build up to to the to the opener of the league one would have expected like given how the summer went for women's football in all aspects like in in europe in south america there was a lot of interest in, in Africa as well. Like there were major tournaments that, that generated a lot of hype. Then although there were there was not a clear timeline, everything happened last minute with, with the Spanish league, but there was now a TV deal in place which would like show you three games for free on YouTube and then other with a subscription plan as well. And there would have been more cameras in the stadium. So you would get better angles and stuff. So everything seemed like it would go well and everyone was looking forward to it because there were big games scheduled for for the first opening week real sociedad versus atleti villarreal versus real madrid it was all there and then this happens and it's it's not like this should uh, this shouldn't have been uh, discussed or this should have been resolved before and i think there have been there must have been talks going on in uh, on the internal side but at the end, this is the situation, and we are not even sure if if this is gonna be resolved uh, come come the next match day. So we might possibly see a suspension of another match day. We'll have to wait for what statement uh, the CTA basically have to put out on uh, on Monday. But 
things don't look good i mean this is not a great look for a league that has just turned professional like yeah, i don't know this internal power battle between two federations is just the one that loses here is, is women's football in the end and it's it's pathetic in the end to be honest yeah and i think the thing here is is what's so frustrating is the rfef really has the power in this situation even though the league is fully professional even though the league is the one negotiating the tv deals they have the teams they have the players you can't do anything without referees and theoretically the rfef could just keep doing this indefinitely and i think that's why the league is a bit urgent in threatening you know these disciplinary actions right because it kind of, to say like well we we kind of want to force the issue here but in the end the referees are the ones who get caught up on this because all right if they go along with the strike, then potentially they can be in big trouble with the league. If they don't go on with it, then they're most definitely in real trouble with the RFEF. So what do they kind of do here? And so the RFEF basically are sitting there, right? They're the only ones who won't suffer at all, right? Think about it, right? They're the only ones who only have something to gain and nothing to lose from this, except the reputation, which is already absolute shit, right? Everyone who knows anything about the situation already absolutely hates them. And to be frank, they don't care at all, right? Even in men's football, what is the RFEF's reputation? Not great, right? Who around actually likes Luis Rubiales, right? No one. So if that's all they have to lose, then they have nothing to lose because the reputation doesn't exist in the first place, right? The LPFF has a lot to lose, right? Because they're the ones who run the league, right? The referees have a lot to lose in both situations and the RFEF has nothing to lose. So that's what's so frustrating about this. And to me, it's not super obvious how this goes forward without the RFEF winning in some way, which is really frustrating. Although I will say, I think it's important not to bend over immediately because I think the 21,000 figure is great. I, I, I think obviously the league's offer, initial offer was a lot better than what the RFEF were doing, but I think 21,000 is even better. It is just absolutely key that the RFEF do not take any of that money or at least close to a significant amount of that money, right? The vast majority of that has to go to the referees because they are the ones doing the actual work, right? And it's an absolute joke that the RFEF was taking the vast majority of the previous sum sum, and essentially giving a pittance to those referees in the previous situation. There is very much legitimate concerns and requests in the referees here because they do deserve a proper contract. They do deserve a better contract if you're going to go fully professional and tout all these things with the TV deals and all these potential benefits for players in the future and stuff, the referees have to be lifted up as well. It's just that this is so obviously a power play from the RFDF and more directly a play for money. And it's, it's just so frustrating. It's so frustrating that we can go so far and get so far away from them, yet just in certain ways, it seems like we can never escape them. And you, yet here we are. So yeah, we'll try to keep you updated with the situation as much as we can, as quickly as we can. I've been scrambling on the website <laughs> at all sorts of hours to try to ensure that we can continue to have the most updated information on this. And we'll just see what happens on Monday. Things are going to change pretty quickly in terms of the information we have based on the statement. And we should start getting a sense of whether the second match day will have to be postponed as well. And needless to say, like each match day that's postponed just makes this, the season more and more of a disaster because 
where do you put these games, right? Do you extend the, you know, the end of the season even further? I mean, we have a World Cup coming up. Like, it's just, I, I don't know, like, it, it just ruins so many things. And I, I don't know, we'll just have to see what happens with it. And this is on top of, uh, like, the Spanish league is the longest league that exists in Europe. Like, with 16 teams and stuff, they already play a lot of games. So, there isn't much scope to rearrange these fixtures uh, at all. There are multiple cup cup competitions as well. I don't know. Like, this is just going to be terrible for players again who are going to be overworked come the end of the season when, when it... Uh, when the Champions League comes around for the big, big teams, then there's Copa as well. Then they have included some sort of Super Cup as well. So it, it's not fair on the players to be like to demand of them to be playing every three days for a whole month. Like that's that's inhuman at the end. And it, I don't know. Like there there isn't much rescheduling option moving forward. So it's it's just a disaster. All right, I think that about wraps it up in terms of trying to explain the whole refereeing issue and you know the postponement issue. And obviously, we'll continue to try to keep you updated with that. Just check Las Blancas Twitter, check Managing Madrid Twitter, and, and check the website. We'll move on to the next topic now, and really the last topic on this podcast. So we take the opportunity to talk about Freya Siri Olofsson, who I think herself wants to be known as Freya Siri, so that's what we'll call her. She came from Racing Louisville from the NWSL, and uh, she originally applied her trade in her home country in Sweden from 2015 to 2020. And along the way, she overcame an ACL injury to then make her move to the NWSL in 2021. And she was basically a regular at racing. She racked up 22 appearances last season. And before she signed from Real Madrid, this season, she played an additional 15 matches. The kind of like positive outlook on this is that she is proper defensive midfielder, I guess you could say, that theoretically fills a long-standing void in Madrid's midfield, right? What is a thing that we've complained on and off about since essentially the 1920 season when we lost Ainoa Campo? It's that we don't have a true defensive midfielder for so long. Maite is the one that had to play in that role. And kind of since then, you know, we played Tere there, we've tried different things, we've moved to double pivots, but we never really had someone who we consider, oh, this is a true six who can play in that single pivot role, right? Even with all the midfield signings we made this season, we don't really have that player. Like Toledi is not that player in terms of being at her best. Like she can do it, but that's because Toledi can do everything. But if you're asking what is her best position, it's as a box-to-box midfielder, we are obviously is like this number 10, number eight attacking midfielder type who has a very broad skill set. But if you're playing her as a defensive midfielder, something has gone very wrong. We must be in the most epic injury crisis imaginable if that's happening, right? So this was a need. Now the question is, is this 24-year-old the actual solution to this team's, this hole that exists in Madrid's midfield? And this is why I have Yash on. He can go into a little bit more detail about this. But from my initial impression, it doesn't seem like that's actually the case. And that kind of like the best case scenario is that she becomes like a solid backup, but doesn't really seem like a player who's like starter quality from the people who've regularly watched her in terms of analysts who have regularly watched her from looking at her statistical profile because we do have advanced stats because she played in the NWSL American Soccer Analysis 
a website everyone should check out, has advanced stats on her specifically using their goal added metric, which is an all-in-one metric, the best one, in my opinion, out there that evaluates what is their essential contribution to goals per game or per 96 minutes. It consolidates all the information they have, puts it into that stat and says, this is what the statistic is. And then it breaks it down into, you know, various categories, like, like interrupting, shooting, receiving, and all of that. And besides interrupting where she showed up decently last season and not so decently this season, doesn't paint her in the best of light. That being said, goal added can be hit or miss with defensive midfielders. What it's really good at is evaluating attackers. And then there's more room for nuance the farther back you go on the position chart. But even eye test wise, I'm not super sure that it looks at her like maybe in the light that it might like Tede or or others, right? So we'll have to see how it pans out, right? I'm definitely reserving a lot of judgment because I haven't spent a lot of time watching her. But Yash, what's your take on this transfer? Okay, so uh, we were in for this player like last year as well. Uh, Towards the end of the window, there were rumors that we are probably going to sign her for 100k euros. Uh, so I like I have seen some game I had seen some games for from Louisville before this rumor came around, but after that I tried to watch uh, as much as I could and I've done the same this time around as well. The thing is, it, it as you as you mentioned before, this signing addresses a position that we have all been screaming for. Like we have an obvious, it fills an obvious void uh, in the defensive midfield position by bringing in a natural defensive midfielder. But last season, the this signing would have made a little sense because last season our midfield looked a bit different. There were places up for grabs. Because last season, uh, at any point of time, our midfield could have been a, a combination of uh, Zoranosa, Tere, Maite, and Kasi. So there were positions up for, up for grab. Like you can you can probably argue that the only player that had a had a fixed role was Zoranosa. So there were two places up for grabs at all times. So if she had come uh, around last season, it would have made a little sense. This season, it makes less sense because our midfield has changed like if you look at our midfield composition now caroline where is an is gonna be a short short shots uh, starter because she adds uh, that quality that nobody else in the midfield can in the current setup at least and she is a world-class player so she is definitely going to start then you have toleti which i feel should start because she offers a lot of balance she can compensate uh, on the offensive side as well as the defensive side. So, so we need a player of that caliber who can do both things at a very high level. So Toleti is that. There's just one position that is up for grabs now. And that will probably be decided based on what sort of opponent we are playing. Or if, if it comes to that, I think Tere might nab it from others. And Zornosa Maite would have to play a sort of um, substitute role or Maite can also be deployed on, uh, as the backup for on the right wing option where she comes in and operates centrally. That's another thing. But that is the thing. There's only one position up for grabs. It's not like Freya uh, can play multiple roles in midfield. It's not like she can be the controller in midfield alongside somebody else. It's not like she can be uh, the advanced midfielder who can do bits and replace somebody else. So that, that's 
two positions gone that's just one position because we are probably going to play like 4-3-3 it's difficult to make a lot of sense about this move uh, now plus there's a added pressure with the amount that is being reported like for 235 000 euros that that's a lot of money like if you think about it like parnela hader who is possibly or arguably now the highest paid uh, women's transfer ever because like barcelona are claiming they didn't pay 400 for kira was that's another topic but that makes parnela hader the highest paid women's football transfer ever that's just 120 115k more than what we have paid for freya olofsson i'm not saying she is a bad player but that money could have been like better utilized uh, talking about the player uh, like she is a proper destroyer in midfield that is what i would describe her as that's her best role she isn't much of a deep lying playmaker who can like ping passes from deep or like kick start attacks from deep no she is very reserved in possession when it comes to uh, her passing she can circulate the ball in short and medium ranges but over the long range her passing isn't isn't that good she is pretty physical like uh, if you have managed to see her first interview with real madrid that is what she uh, repeatedly emphasizes and that's true because she is uh, like quite physically dominant so she manages to get uh, like win the ball in in those sort of one v one physical duels but in terms of tackling and uh, intercepting as well there's room for improvement too so it doesn't feel like a move that is going to obviously take us to the next level it adds depth uh, for sure it adds depth in a position that we haven't had since we became real madrid since i know i left but it feels like we could have done better uh, this is this is coming in the same window when kira walsh was available apparently so it it also stings that but yeah probably kira was wouldn't want to join madrid that's another case but like you have to you have to like take that into account there was also karen homegard uh, who moved this summer uh, to everton like you could have at least like we could have at least tried to uh, like sway her with with this sort of money so that is the thing i, I feel there were better options in the market this summer to address that position this signing if it would have happened like last summer it would have made a bit more sense because our midfield looked very different last summer but currently our midfield has two of the like one absolutely well i i would say two absolutely world class player in toletti and weir but if you want to like make it debatable like toletti is one of the best midfielders in the league at the very least so i don't know like it it, it feels weird so i i'm i don't know what to or what more to say about it other than this feels like a very uh very sideways move sort of uh in which we could have done significantly better in my opinion because even if you go about looking at the stats like uh, ohm mentioned before if you go to american soccer analysis uh, and look at the goals added metrics they aren't really that stand out even in uh, even in like actions that one would consider her strengths which is like interrupting play it's it's not really that um, that uh, you know eye catching numbers because if you look at her uh, goals added uh, above or below average they look like uh, for her position it's it's way below average 
for last season and for this season as well. So uh, statistically, she isn't really an eye-catching player. I hope like she she does well for us. Obviously, there is no uh, one thing that we are going to like be uh, rooting against her or anything. We want her to succeed, obviously. And I think like she could be a very good uh, bench option for us to help us control games uh, in in times when we are in need of having some sort of defensive solidity by putting her in. But is she a starter sort of player? Which when you are paying one thirty five. Uh, for a player, uh, you expect that at least, uh, or 235k for a player, you expect that at least. So, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure that she she is an improvement upon, say, Tere at, at the DM role, because with Tere, you do get the uh, disrupting of the opposition play while also having the sort of passing capabilities from the deep that can like kickstart an attack and send us uh, forward pretty quickly. I don't think that is an option there. So I'm not very high on the signing. We have made it. I welcome her with open arms. Uh, but yeah, uh, her impact, her direct impact on the side and how we play might not be as big as uh, the fee, I, I would say. Yeah, it, it seems very much like a lateral move. And I, I think the thing is, is like, well, there's a couple of things here. One, it seems like Ana Roselle has this tendency to where, like, once she latches onto a player, she just will keep going for them, right? It's the same thing with Catalan Souza, right? Like, rejected in the past. And when it maybe seems like, all right, at this particular moment in time, it no longer makes sense or it doesn't make sense, she still goes for them anyway, right? It's like, I, I, I've latched onto this target. I'm going to pursue it no matter what, which seems like a weird way of going about transfer business. I know football directors tend to have a couple players like that, but for it to direct, you know, a significant portion of the transfer business is, is a bit strange, but yeah, I mean, in terms of Freya, like, I guess the main argument you can make as for why this is like a really good move is, is, is to kind of point out like just in general, the DM market in women's football, and you could probably even say the same for men's football, is kind of thin. And so looking for great options, like when, when you, you know, take off the table, the likes of Oberdorf, Walsh, you know, Patri, like the elite defensive midfielders of the world, like it's a pretty steep drop off. And if you can't get them, okay, who, who are you looking for? I mean, I'm sure you would have counters to that. I mean, you mentioned home guard and I'm sure there are, there are other players like that. But then the question becomes, okay, you only have these limited, you know, options. How much are they then worth? And my thing is, if it's 235K, what is the cost benefit of simply not spending that at all? And let's say, for example, playing Tede in that role. I don't know. It seems to me like you could have just not spent that money and waited for an opportune moment to go for, for a more elite player or look for you know a hidden gem that appears. So, I, I mean, I, I think that's kind of the main question. And given Roselle's kind of obsession about chasing these players, I do wonder what exactly the merit was of spending that much money. That being said, I think it adds pretty solid depth. I think she does, in a sense, kind of fill a need, and we'll see how it goes forward, right? Next to players like, you know, Maite, Tere, Toletti, we're probably deficiencies on the ball can be covered. But when you look in terms of the long-term future, because again, Real Madrid is a project where we're looking, where are we two years from now? 
I don't think this is one for that type of view. I think it's a short-term gap that says, okay, we have a need now, let's fill it. And we should be looking probably to say, all right, then what is the next move going forward, right? Like my dream would be someone like Oberdorf. Who knows whether that ever be realistic because once her contract is up, every single club worth their salt in the world will be going after her and Real Madrid will not be best positioned to go and get her. But it would be kind of crazy if Barca got Oberdorf Walsh and Patti. Like, I don't know if that would happen, but there's Leon, right? There's PSG, even given how messed up they are. They're the WSL club. I don't know. Like, it just feels like, all right, you, you just kind of shrug your shoulders at this one and say, let's see how it goes. And I don't know if there's that much more to say about that. All right. That brings us to the end of this one. Two very different topics, but I think covered on things that needed to be covered. One was explaining what the hell is going on with the league situation, referees and all of that. And I hope Yash and I gave the useful rundown of the events and then also like what's driving this. And then also talking about Freya Siri. I think it's the first time really getting the, the chance to talk about her. And uh, hopefully you took something away from that as well. So hopefully, fingers crossed, we will be with you next week to cover actual football. If not, it'll probably be tough to you on why football is not being played. All right, Yash. As always, man, a pleasure. And uh, a la Madrid. A la Madrid. <laughs>